Thank you for listening to the Around the Net Post Tennis Podcast. Please tune in for new episodes every Wednesday and every Sunday. Welcome back to another episode of Around the Net Post. I am joined on this fine Sunday afternoon in the Around the Net Post Towers headquarters by a full contingent of the Statsman himself, Jacob Andrus, and the Chipmore. How are we, fellas? I'm doing great today. Had a couple of uh, good matches over the weekend. Our team went 3-0 and in a couple of uh, Division II matchups, but nothing nothing too difficult on our side of the court. Chip, how's your week been? Uh, yesterday, we had the dreaded six-court men and women match combined playing. I think the match lasted about six and a half hours total. Uh, every single match, women's and men's sides, went to three sets. We actually ended up winning both, but it was a grind. We started a match at 5, ended at 11.30, and I got home by about 1.30 in the morning last night. But but two good wins, so can't complain. But would like my guys maybe to close out the match a little earlier next time. Sounds like a good week for, for both of you there. Um, before we get into the into the into the show to to kick business off, let's have a word for our sponsors, Thirty Thirty Tennis, uh, tennis's newest and best shortened format. Um, every point, every game starting from thirty thirty rather than love all to create more pressure, more entertainment, more excitement, and ultimately reduce the length of tennis matches. Uh, Chip, you could have used that yesterday rather than uh, than finishing at eleven thirty, couldn't you? You know, George, you you just might be right about that. Um, I'll have to. Uh... You know, talk to my connects at the ITA to switch it to 30 all tennis. I'm sure they'll, I'm sure they'll go for that. You should. Um, b- before we uh, before we start, um, some some news uh, on our end, specifically uh, Jacob and I with with Spring League coming up on Wednesday nights. Um, we're going to be going down to one episode a week uh, on Sundays, um, just for about two or three months while that goes on, and then we'll go back to the the two a week episodes. In other news, special news, actually, and exciting news, next week's episode, we'll have our second uh, special guest, three if you include Chip, um, with his first appearance on the show. Um, It will be um, aspiring professional player Cameron Price. He's uh, recently released a new YouTube channel. Um, So we're going to be asking him about his journey and uh, how YouTube is helping him get there. Um, So that will be next Sunday. So do you guys want to give a quick rundown on the, the week's tournaments? Yeah, I would. Uh, I think I'll start first with you know the tournament that the one and only Jordan Thompson just won. That was, I would say, one of the more impressive title runs in the this year alone. Probably last year as well. You know, just having a bunch of long matches, going three sets, and then earlier in the tournament he had a comeback against uh, against Alex Mickelson down, I think six zero four one forty fifteen facing double break point he somehow pulled out that set saved multiple match points and ended up winning seven five in the third and then he went on to you know beat Zverev in a three hour and 40 minute match which is really impressive and then I didn't think he would have enough gas left but he then took down Casper Ruud in the final so I mean really big run from him in that tournament he actually won the doubles as well in the same uh same day so very impressive showing from Jordan Thompson my my one no for the week was uh Obviously, the unbelievable run of uh, Jacob Mensik. I don't know if I'm butchering that name or not, but just taking down some unbelievably good players on the run to the final there in Doha. But I think I think the real news of the week is kind of that was tough for Murray. The, the tough loss, you know, blowing that, and then on top of that, adding salt to the wound, the guy he basically had dead to rights, 
makes it all the way to the final of the tournament, beating players like Rublev um, and, and other good players. That for Murray fans and Murray alike, I mean, you just can't catch a break. And that's the good news about a nice young player coming up. But, but that that could have been Murray's week, just like it was last week. And yeah, I think it's so good for tennis right now that there's uh, such a young contingent of up and coming players, um, like Mensik you mentioned. Um, but another one in Rio it caught my eyes, you know, wildcard Brazilian ranked uh, 655, who was a guy that I hadn't heard of before. I don't know if you guys had heard about him, too. I did a little bit more research. He's actually, you know, number two ranked junior in the world. Jao Fonseca uh, won the U.S. Open juniors. He was tearing it up in Rio, won, won two matches there in straight sets and, and really had it on his racket um, against a qualifier. In, in the quarterfinals. So yeah, it was a uh, you know, huge forehand. I don't know if you guys had had a chance to to watch any of those those matches, those highlights out in Rio. What did you think of uh, young Jao Fonseca, Jacob? Yeah, I thought he was really impressive. I actually, the first time I heard of him was when he uh, announced that he was committing to play tennis for UVA next year. Um, not sure if that's still going to happen. Kind of similar to Alex Mickelson committing to Georgia last year and then deciding to go you know fully professional that was a pretty impressive run from him that tournament and i didn't really get to see too much of the live tennis i saw the highlights and then i tuned in to watch his match against vone who just made it all the way to the finals right now so that that was a match that i thought that fonseca had a really good chance of winning you know he won the first set i think six one or six two and then in the second set he saved a triple break point down love 40 early in that set and then had break points himself, I believe, to go up 4-2 in the second set. And when he didn't convert that, it, the match momentum turned fully towards Navone. He kind of carried it away. But, like, the game style that he had is just super impressive. Like, solid off of both ground, ground strokes and, you know, ripping forehand and backhand winners. He almost reminded me a little bit of, uh, of Juan Monaco. I don't know if you guys remember him from about 10 years back, but kind of similar ground strokes and a similar game style, but maybe a little more explosive at 17 years old. I'd, I'd say a lot more explosive just from the few, few games that I watch, but, but I do agree with that take. I, I thought the, I thought the pressure of the, the crowd being so unbelievably in that guy's favor, maybe got to him a little bit in that match. I mean, it was, it was honestly a little bit comical. I mean, you have the crowd going nuts and literally there's not a single person saying a word or cheering when the other guy won the point. It was, it was unbelievable. It was, it was something I had never seen before. One other takeaway from that was I was looking at the draw, and when they were in the quarterfinals at the Rio Open, there were three Brazilians in the quarterfinals and three Argentines in the quarterfinals. And all three of the Brazilians lost their quarterfinal matches, and all three of the Argentines won their quarterfinal matches, which is, I think, I don't know if it's surprising or it shows that there was a little bit more home pressure for the Brazilians versus the Argentinians. No, that's interesting and uh, a great stat there. The th main thing we're going to talk about today is uh, the the venues and places on the ATP tour that that we think are the best places to play, the places that we'd want to play. And before we get into that, though, we'll have a new segment um, every Sunday uh, where we predict an unseeded player playing in that week's tournament that are going to make it to the quarterfinals. For my pick this week, I am going to go with not really an underrated player, but somebody that I think can make a run, uh, Seb Korda, you know, make a little run in Dubai this week. That's a good shout. Uh, for mine, I'm going to go two players that we've already discussed. I'm going to go Navone and uh, Fonseca in Santiago. I think Navoni will beat Varelas in the first round, and then we'll get the better of uh, Seb Bias. And then uh, Fonseca will beat the Argentine Tirante, and then the seventh seed Cabayas 
Bainer. Chip, over to you. So I've got one big one this week. I've got Sevchenko taking out Medvedev in the first round and taking it all the way to the finals. Losing in the final, I don't know who's going to lose to, but he's going to get all the way there. Are you banking on Mensik to to lose because of tiredness? Because he's in that that quarter. Yeah, Mensik just had the week of his life. He's going to lose that match 0-2 to Borna George. Uh, yeah, I was very tempted to take Andy Murray to beat Shapovalov and then uh, Umber, but I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I wanted to, but I couldn't. You got to, man. It's it's sacrilegious not to. Let's let's get into the main topic. Uh, we've made our top ten lists of uh, of places to play um, on the ATP tour. I'll uh, I'll start with uh, my number ten. At number ten, I'm I'm going to go with uh, Eastbourne on the south coast of England, the the 250 grass court tournament. I uh, it's a nice atmosphere on the coast. You know, you have got the seagulls going over. It's uh, something I just picture it. You know, quintessential British people, quiet clapping, eating their strawberries and cream. I think it'd be a be a nice place to play. For my number ten, I pick Cincinnati. I've always enjoyed watching. I don't know if it's the camera angle or what it is, but I've I've always liked watching that tournament on TV, and I've I've never been there personally, but I have driven by the stadium before. So there was uh, some real momentum for Cincinnati to come to Charlotte. Do you guys hear about that? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But it, it's not going to happen. Um, it's going to stay in Cincinnati. Potentially to Charleston, I heard. But uh, no, it's not happening though. It's staying in Cincinnati. Oh, okay. They signed a new contract. Yeah, they did. Uh, my so my my list, in my opinion, I'm adding one more thing to this list. Just just the overall personal feelings I have with the tournament, right? And this, for me, it has a little bit to do with how Ralph has done at the tournament over the years. This, this is where I'm going my list, and if I've been to the tournament before. So my first one, I've got Acapulco. It's, it's a beautiful area, right? Nice sunny beaches. Uh, maybe the matches go a little bit too late. I know Zavera was complaining about that last year. He also he was, he was so angry about that that he almost uh, – Took out a line judge in the process or whatever. It's always a tournament Ralph has done well. And so it's it's a tournament I like to watch and a tournament I'd like to visit sometime. Okay. So this is how this is going to work. We put our nominations in for each number. We're now going to vote on which one we think is the best for that spot. So at number 10, I'm going to go out and say I had since I wanted Cincinnati on my list because I wanted a spot on the North American hardcore tour, but I've been to Cincinnati and I just, I'm just not sure it makes the list, Jacob. Have you ever been to Cincinnati? Like, just the area, Jacob? Yeah, I, I've been up there a few times. It's it's decent. I'm going to say half decent at best. <laughs> it's a mass 1,000. I, I could take Acapulco. Yeah, I mean, the weather's nice. I mean, I know for a fact it's a place that the players love to go to and love to play at. It's Lucky. it's a nice tournament. And, uh, I mean, Eastbourne's nice, too, though. Grass courts, you got the history there. Is it too similar to Wimbledon, though? So let's put 10 Acapulco in agreement. Acapulco, that's right. All right, moving on to number nine. Up the list we go. Uh, my nomination is uh, the indoor tournament uh, in Paris-Bercy. I think I like it. They have, the, like, the flower boxes, like, around the, the edge of the court. The, you know, the, the front row is super close. I, I like the different court color. It's a little bit different. Um, and who doesn't like Paris? It's a, it's a good view of the courts, I would say. Right, Jake, what's your pick? Uh, so for number nine, um, I have the U.S. Open at number nine. Of the four Grand Slams, it's my least favorite, I think, just to watch. Even though it's the easiest to watch on TV, I feel like it's the least exciting in some ways to me at the end of the year. Um, I'm a little bit bigger fan of the other three majors in terms of 
viewing experience and I haven't been there so I know that's a a large tick against why I have it so low compared to what you guys might have but that's why I have it at number nine although I think it's gonna pop up on other people's list a little bit higher so would you like a criticism now or after Chip does his nomination well well shockingly or unshockingly up until a few months ago it was also the tournament Djokovic had won the least so obviously <laughs> that's the one Jacob doesn't like as much um, so I had an interesting take here. Um, not even really doesn't really even have to do with the tennis, which is uh, maybe not great. But I picked the Mallorca Open, the grass court tournament, mainly because I would like to go to Mallorca and see where Rafa grew up. Weak reason. <laughs> the court <laughs> is always I told you. The- I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be unique here, even if it's even if it's not great. But the most most of them won't be that bad. The rest of the way, the grass isn't even green. It's a grass court tournament. It's like yellow. Yeah, but- but Rafa like went to the young. tournament last year, so maybe I could get a peek of him. <laughs> and Jacob, I, I don't even know where to start with Flushy Meadows, the the biggest stadium in the world, Arthur Ashe, at number nine on this list. Disrespectful to American tennis. That's it's that's not great, Jacob. It's also weirdly, it's it's the one tournament that is like the easiest to watch. I feel like because it's in our time zone, and that's I don't understand why that's the one you like to watch the least. No, it just it just feels the least uh, special of the the four Grand Slams to me. I kind of like the, one this much. That's the, why. the exotic international aspect of the other three, maybe. You know, obviously, I live the closest to the US Open of all you guys. And um, a lot of my friends say that went this year that it is so unbelievably crowded there now at the US Open that it's like borderline unbearable. Like it takes if, if you leave a court and you try to go to another court, it'll take you almost an hour to get onto another court because it's so crowded and the changeovers mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah, although I really don't agree with Jacob, I think I have the U.S. Open at like number two. Um, there are some some complaints about the tournament, but I, I want to make a strong case for for Paris Bercy or putting Eastbourne at the number nine spot. I, one time I was at Eastbourne and someone smashed their racket, and I did get it, so I have an affinity for that tournament. But I don't know if it's Mallorca, I don't know if it's U.S. Open. So I would put Paris at nine. I think of of the three that we've given. Paris has to be nine. I mean, you, we just can't put the U.S. Open at nine. It just can't happen. <laughs> then let's go to number eight. We've got it settled. We're on to number eight. I have Shanghai moving to China at number eight. I think it's cool. They've got their you know, cool little stadium. It's a Masters 1000. It's, I don't know. I've also never been to China. I'd like to go to China. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you guys have? I don't know if this qualifies, but I have the Miami Open when it was at Crandon Park. I do not. I don't like the new venue that they have, you know, inside the Miami Dolphins stadium with those like courts kind of next to the stadium. I, I always liked watching the green and purple courts out at the, the Crandon Park tournament. And I know that the chip mentioned this, but the, the tournament is still, or the tournament site is still available for people to hit at, which is pretty cool. I'm sure chip will mention it in a moment once he discusses it a little bit, but that that's where I have it. Number eight. Yeah, that, that facility is unbelievable. I have, I have the pleasure of actually going to both the new and the old one. And the vibe now is about the same. Like the old Miami Open was literally on an island like near Miami. It was like it felt like you were going to like a like a tropical getaway, but it happened to be on tennis courts. And and the fact that the stadium is still there is really cool. If you guys ever get a chance to hit on it, it's, it's unbelievable. With the way, when you hit the ball, you sa- it sounds like you're hitting a thunderbolt. It's really cool. If, if it's on an island, did you have to get a ferry? Over to the the island? No, no, no. It's not. It's like the equivalent. Like it's like the way Manhattan's an island. Like you take oh, okay. a bridge to it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I like out in the middle of the ocean, George. 
Well, Chip, did you even put your your opinion? No, I, I didn't even put mine in yet. Um, I actually had the the Newport tournament, the grass court tournament. Shout out to that. <laughs> George doesn't like that one. <laughs> Listen, it's it's a great tournament for me. It's it's in my home state. It's 20 minutes away from me. And it just I have an immense amount of pride that the, the tennis hall of fame is in my home state of Rhode Island. And every year when the pros come, when John Isner wins a tournament for the that gets the La Decima there. It's just, it's, it's nice. It's like I'm at home, but I'm also watching pro tennis. It's pretty nice. The only good thing about that tournament was that it used to be played without the doubles lines. That was the only cool thing about that tournament. Well, Other than that, it's a yeah. Mickey Mouse 250. Also Newport is a great area. If you guys have never been there, it's uh, equivalent to the Hamptons as George likes to call it, which is not where I'm from guys, listeners. It's not where I'm from. I'm from Rhode Island. And it's a re- it's actually a really really beautiful spot. Um, if you have a chance, the sad thing about the which is which is why I'm mentioning this is this is actually the last year of the tournament. Uh, after this year, I don't know where it's going, but it won't exist after this year. So I figured I'd give it a shout out. Good riddance. Well, what are we voting for? I vote for the old Miami Open. I can get I behind that. I have the old Miami Open at like two on my list. So I'm not. It's, it's not on my list. So we've got to go somewhere in between. All right. Uh, I'm with Jacob. It's fine. I mean, it doesn't, ex- it doesn't even exist anymore. So <laughs> the fact that it's on eight is probably like, it's probably good enough. All right. Moving to number seven. I, I had Atlanta slash Cincinnati. And then I remembered that I'd been to Cincinnati and I didn't like Cincinnati. So I'm going with Atlanta. And I like, I don't know. It's cool. Like you, you have that big, I know it's kind of not like a typical tennis location. It's got, you know, housing developments around it and things like that, which, which look really cool. And also I, you got to get somewhere in the, in, in that United States, North American tour on the list. So I, I'm putting it at number seven, Atlanta. All right. I will go. So this is another, uh, probably slightly con- controversial pick. But I have the French Open at number seven. It's, you know, one of the biggest tournaments in the world. I think that the tournaments that I picked that are coming later are ones that either I think are prettier locations or more enjoyable from maybe a fan aspect or I like a bit better. So I have the French Open at seven, but it's still one of the best tournaments in the world. And I'm sure you guys will have it at some point. Maybe a little later on, so I'm not sure if it will actually fit in at the seventh spot. Jacob's been drinking before this episode, I'm convinced. I had Monte Carlo at number seven, actually. And George is not going to like that one. Not only is it a beautiful area, a beautiful destination, but as you guys well know, Rafa has dominated there over the years. And it's been a very, very fun watch for me over the years because my man, Rafa Nadal, has won it year in and year out. I uh, I also have Monte Carlo later on my list, but I have it higher than uh, seven. I, I'm willing to I'm willing to to give up my pick. So I, we it's going to have to be between the French Open and Monte Carlo for what we put down. I want Monte Carlo to be much higher up than number seven. That does not do it justice. But I, we... I think Monte Carlo is better than the French Open in almost every way, aside from the fact that it's a Grand Slam versus a Masters 1000. Agreed. I've actually been to the French Open. And although it's Rafa's best tournament, um, I did not have a great experience there. It's it's very small. It's very cramped. Um, it's the the landscape of it is a lot smaller, in my opinion, than like Flushing Meadows. It didn't even really feel like a Grand Slam. And also, but that's the beauty of it. I've been there too, was, and it's the beauty of that it. That was also the year that Rafa lost in the quarters to Djokovic. So I didn't like going that year. <laughs> Just imagine playing Philip Chatrier, Lamarcier is ringing out. 
You pumped up in front of a raucous French crowd. It's, you it's can't Rocky's best tournament. It can't be at number seven. So we're going with Monte Carlo. Uh, I think it's crazy. <laughs> we can, I think we it's can, ludicrous. Wait, George, what would you also, pick? Uh, Atlanta. But I, that's not. you can't compare that to these two. Unless yeah. you want to put both of these higher. I yeah, think I we, think we should put both of them higher. So let's yeah. do Atlanta. Okay, so let's let's move on to our theoretical number six. I had okay. Rome in Italy. That that's my favorite. I don't know. I'm a sucker for some flower boxes behind the back of the court. I like that one. Um, you know, Rome's a great place. You get a good atmosphere there. It's like a smaller court, but still fits a lot of people in. But you feel like you're really close to the crowd, especially their center court. So that's why it makes my list at number six. Yeah, I also have Rome on my list, but a little higher. So I. At number six for me, I have the Australian Open. Also, maybe a little low compared to other people's lists, but I I always enjoy watching it. And I think the only reason I have it here is I just, I have, uh, I think, fonder memories of some of the later tournaments of just watching matches at different points. But I would would safely put it in, you know, top six or top three, depending on how we want to argue it. I've got uh, Indian Wells here. Uh, I know it's it's one of the players' favorite tournaments. I think it's one of the most well-run tournaments on the tour. But it's also it's just a beautiful landscape. You've, have you guys watched those? Like anytime you watch like practice videos of players playing in Indian Wells, you got the mountains in the background. It just it just looks gorgeous. And it's I mean it's it's if, if I would at least like to see all the pro tournaments in the U.S. You know before you know I croak. And so that one I mean has to make the list. And I've seen the Miami Open, so the Indian Wells has to be the next one. I've seen the U.S. Open, too. Yeah, I have uh, I have Indian Wells pretty high on my list, so I, I would agree with you, but I would argue it could be higher. I don't have Indian Wells or the Australian Open on my list, so I think I'm... At all? No, not at all. The Indian Wells doesn't really do it for me, man. Like half the matches you watch there, like you've got like ten people in the crowd. It doesn't, you know, on this this court's too big to like fill it out. It gets filled up for like one match a day. The Australian Open, I mean, I, I, it's a, obviously a grand sound. I like it, but it's in such a different time zone that watching it's difficult. You know, it's also super hot, so I don't know if I'd like to play there. Obviously, I would if I got a chance, but not on my top ten list. I think Rome's the one for me. But make your argument. Yeah. I, I would, think, I would put, of these three, I would put Rome at six. Yeah, I think Rome is the one. Rome, that that one court that's not the stadium court, that court is really cool where it's kind of like sunk into the ground. All right, so Rome at six. Now now we're getting to the, the, the nitty-gritty of this. Um, so at number 10, a quick recap. We've got 10, Acapulco, 9, Paris-Bercy, 8, the old Miami, 7, Atlanta in quotation marks, but we're not sure if we're keeping that. Number six, Rome. So let's move on to the top five. Number five, I have Rio. So you know, obviously Rio is a nice place, but this, the main reason I have this is the the atmosphere for the night matches just looks like an absolute party. Just great. Just imagine hyping up the crowd out there. You're in a three set. Everyone's just going absolutely nuts. That's, it looks like to me one of the best atmospheres in tennis. So it doesn't look like there's one corporate seat in the house. It's just all tennis fanatics. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a good reason for it. That was one of the reasons why I had Rome so high was I just remember a lot of, you know, I think it's partly the Italians have had better tennis success than the Brazilians over the last few years. And Rome being a little more visible as a Masters 1000, I think the atmosphere in Rome is one of the best in the world, just from a tennis fan perspective. I remember a lot of night matches where the crowd would be going absolutely crazy for, 
I remember one year it was Vavrinka versus uh, it was some other Italian guy, but it went deep into the night. It was just a really fun match to watch. Um, but I guess for my number or number five, I have the ATP Finals um, either in London or now Turin. I think just it's one of my favorite mat or favorite tournaments to watch every year. You know, with all the lights off except for the court, it's almost like they're in the spotlight. And then when they were in London and now Turin, like the the fans were always pretty good a little tougher during the week but once you kind of got later into the tournament you started having a really good atmosphere and especially when you had Andy Murray playing in London and then Yannick Center this year just the the fan support was off the charts I had the Aussie Open at five it's a little more respectable than having it at nine like the French Open was Jacob I, so I, I have the Aussie Open at five mainly because of my personal relationship with the tournament I always felt like the Aussie Open was the true test of my Rafa fandom. I mean, not only did I have to get up at like three in the morning to watch the tournament, right? You know, but also I felt like every time Rafa played at the, the Aussie Open, he always played at over the, at least over the last six or seven years. He always played the tightest, most grueling, most heart wrenching matches. I mean, that 2017 run where he got all the way to the final after sucking for two years, basically, just to lose to Federer in five. Um, that was heart wrenching and, you know, but, but I was happy that I, I, I was proud of myself. I got up for every single match at three in the morning, um, and watched the tournament. And then, and then obviously that 2022 tournament where he, where you just kind of was the underdog, which is usually not something Rafa is and, and pulled it off. That was, that was amazing. So I feel like as an emotional roller coaster, the Aussie open has been that for me over the years. And that's why it's at five. For such a the hard effort and the soul and the passion that went into that speech, I'm happy to put the Australian Open at five. Yeah, I think that would be fair. Although I would I would argue that we replace Atlanta with uh, with either the ATP Finals or something else at some point. But oh, really? Atlanta's not going to finish in there. I think that's I think that's all agreed upon. Yeah. Why don't you vote? If you want the ATP Finals at at seven, I think Rio should maybe go at seven. Chip, you vote. Rio, I mean, I just, I don't really have much relationship with Rio. I mean, I don't really watch it. The, the last time Rafa played there was like. There's more to life than Rafa, Chip. This is about where you want to play. Yeah, it wouldn't be Rio. What about, uh, what about Indian Wells? I mean, are we going to have that anywhere? Well, we'll keep going. We'll keep progressing through. I'm putting the Aussie Open at five. We'll keep moving up to the number four. At number four, I've got Wimbledon. I also have Wimbledon at number four. I think it's. I feel like the atmosphere and like the the party atmosphere is a little missing. Like obviously it's you know the grandest court in tennis, the most famous, one of the best tournaments, they're probably the most prestigious to win. I appreciate that a lot. And as a Brit, you know, I I, I put it there. I have a, it, hold it in the highest esteem. But in terms of wanting an atmosphere where it's just a party, there's you know people screaming, people you know moving around. You don't get that at Wimbledon, so that's why, for me, it's as low as four. Yeah, no, I, I also have it at four. I think of the four Grand Slams, it's the most prestigious, as you said. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily say it's my favorite one to watch for the tennis, just because it kind of, I mean, it's gotten slower over the years, but I feel like it. the quality of the players being able to move on the courts is a little lacking compared to other surfaces. But I think just for the the history of the tournament, I think it takes the top spot, at least of the four Grand Slams, in my opinion. Uh, I had the French Open at four. 
Um, obviously, it's a tournament Rafa has done well at, but but uh, I I just think I just think it's a great tournament. It's a cool tournament. I I like I like the renovation they've done with the the French Open courts. Um, in, uh, in in recent years, I think I think the old one was probably a little bit too small. Um, now that it's bigger, it's it's great. It feels like more of a grand tournament, and and uh, and yeah, I mean, Rafa's won it 14 times. If he didn't didn't have the French Open, he probably only I wouldn't be in the goat conversation. So obviously, I I gotta put the French Open up pretty high. It's it's almost an obligation as a Rafa fan. I feel like I'm good with either Wimbledon or the French Open there. I think we put Wimbledon down, but we we revisit the list to make sure the French Open is in there at some point. All right, so at number three, I, I've got the French Open there. Um, I just, I, I have, you know, you're grinding out in the clay, French crouching in La Marseillaise, they've got all the cool charms. That's just right up my alley. That, that's my number three, hands down. Nice, nice. I have, uh, I have Rome at my number three. I, I wanted a clay court tournament, and of the, the big clay court tournaments, I, I really like Rome. I Technically, also, I think I mentioned earlier, I have Monte Carlo up pretty high, which is, you know, a spot above this. But Rome, I had it my number three spot. Chip? I actually had Wimbledon at number three. Um, I feel like Wimbledon, even though it might not be the most popular tournament as far as North America, even more so than the U.S. Open, it always feels like uh, when when tennis is at its most popular, when it's kind of the, the center of everything. I mean, you know, you know, the only professional sport going on in the U.S. is baseball at that time. There's no football. There's no college sports. It's like tennis is on ESPN all day. And that's what all of my friends care about. I mean, I remember when when Alcaraz and Djokovic, you know, had their unbelievable match last year. I got I got a bunch of texts about the match from like people that I didn't even know knew how to play the sport of tennis. And that that was that was pretty cool. Just just to see like how popular it was, I think. I think that Wimbledon match was one of the most watched matches in North America in a long time. So it's just it's just nice that tournament because it feels like that feels like my sport is getting the credit it deserves. I agree. I think everyone becomes a tennis expert during Wimbledon. Like you yeah. said, people that have never picked up a racket are like, yeah, I'm joining the club and I'm going to watch you know 50 hours of tennis this week. And that's good for tennis, like you said. Yeah, I would put the French Open at three and then we can do like a a round check to just kind of see where we finish on everything. Tenfold. At number two, I've got uh, Flushy Meadows, uh, giving it the respect it deserves, not at number nine, Jacob. Yeah, yeah no, I think that's fair. I have I have Monte Carlo at my two spot. We talked about it earlier, but I, I have it up there just from a, I would say, location perspective. It might be the, the prettiest location right up there with my number one spot. And then, you know, clay court tennis is always – Super, I think, interesting to watch, you know, just all the rallies and constructing the points. So Monte Carlo for me at number two. And who doesn't want to go to Monte Carlo? Yep. Yep. So this one's already been said, but I want to give the shout out it deserves. Uh, I had the uh, the old Miami Open at Crandon Park here. Um, I actually got a, got the privilege to go there a few times. Um, it was just it was just awesome. I mean, you had, you had the scenery. Um, it, there was this there was this great kind of winding bridge that went over, I don't know the intercoastal there or whatever. And just just felt when you go when you're going over that bridge, heading to the island, you're just headed to paradise. And it it just had this tropical vibe. It, it really wasn't the nicest complex, but it had this tropical vibe. It had this kind of friendly vibe. You just felt you just felt you were in for a great day when when you, when you head to that tournament. And and also one thing about the 
the term that's great that that our my friend Zach used to always talk about who hopefully be a guest on our show is um the practice courts were kind of right there um when you when you kind of walked by and there was no it, it wasn't guarded it was uh, there was no like stadium seating like there is now at the Miami Open. Um, like you literally were on the same level as the as the players, and you could see players like Rafa like literally right in front of you hitting, and and that's something that that Zach says that he's never seen before, and and I didn't get a chance to see that because maybe I wasn't paying attention, but Zach always used to talk about that. So hopefully Zach listens to us and can get a little bit of shout out about that. No, that's great. Chip, you sound like you've been to quite a few, uh, you know, ATP professional tournaments throughout your your lifetime. Uh, what What's the coolest court that you've had the privilege to actually play on? Well, uh, funny you mentioned this because um, I was just talking about the Miami Open. Um, my buddy Zach and I, I want to say five years ago, we headed to uh, Crandon Park after the tournament had already been, you know, canceled there and moved up. You know, upstate a little bit to basically Fort Lauderdale now. It's you can pay like 25, 30 bucks to play in the stadium court and it's still there. Um, the whole entire court is still there. You can kind of imagine that you're some ATP pro playing an unbelievable match there. And um, but but the most striking thing about it is the sound of the balls. Um, you you even if you're not the biggest hitter in the world, if you're hitting on that court, you feel like you're Del Potro. You feel like you're absolutely crushing the ball. And the, the sound is just unbelievable. It sounds like a thunderbolt. And that is something uh, that is a memory that I'll cherish the rest of my life and by far the coolest court I've ever got to play on. No, that's awesome. I think for me, it would be potentially Queens. I got to play there, but when the like the, the stadiums won up, so it wasn't as cool. Um, you know, it's just a regular court. They obviously build all the grandstands that, around it. But that was cool. And the history behind that club. I guess the my court at Bell and Abbey was pretty cool. We used to put the flag up in between uh, James and I. I I'll always have fond memories there. But I'd say that hands down the coolest place was like it's a club in England called Camden Hill, and it's it's like an underground tennis club. Like it's you walk in the front door and it looks like a house. So you kind of walk through this this house, and then it's kind of out the back. And I I don't. It's meant to be super exclusive. Um, when we played a, a, a match there, a doubles, and they were like underground players that like had no ranking but were like super good. They just come out the woodwork. And it's like an indoor course but super low ceiling. And it's all so, like cement stone. So when you're playing, like the echo is like second to none. And it's just, it was just something I've never, ever, you know, ever seen since or before then. And you were sat in a cafe after, and it's like all just like English celebrities. But it was uh, it was super cool. I don't know. I've never had the opportunity to go back there, but that that was really cool and something I'll probably never get to do again. Jacob, have you got any cool uh, cool places you've played at? Uh, probably nothing that compares to the the places that you guys have played with. Um, I was I think the only two professional tournaments I've been to were Atlanta and Winston Salem. Um, so I guess my pick would be. It would probably be Winston-Salem because they, they hold that tournament at Wake Forest. And we, we've we gotten to play against Wake Forest uh, for college matches in the past. So last year, I was able to go hit on their courts. Jake, well, uh, I remember actually the, the freshman year uh, spring break trip to Hilton Head. And outside those condos, there was a, it was like a court inside a bunch of trees. You had to like walk through a little 10 foot of trees. And then there was two courts inside those trees that we hit on. That was it. That was super cool. It was a really bad court and just didn't, obviously not even a, 
I don't even know if you'd count it as a location, but I do remember me and you hitting on that on that court. I think I'm a sucker for a bit of scenery, to be honest. Yeah, that was pretty yeah. nice. It was it was in those like trees and had the vines in the fence and you couldn't really see anything. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, moving on, we're on to the top two. I guess that you know, really from what we've discussed, there's three contenders here: uh, Indian Wells, Monte Carlo, and uh, Flushy Meadows. Do we have any preference on on how we order those? Um, on my list, I had you know Monte Carlo at two and Indian Wells at one. Um, I think both of them just come down to the scenery of the location and. I think just the the quality of being able to watch it on TV. I think camera angle comes into play. Since I haven't been to the tournaments personally, I can't really rate it from personal experience. But just you know, watching the matches, I think those are the two tournaments that I like will watch highlights of all the time and just really enjoy like the visual aspect of it. I guess. Yeah, I I agree with that. Where's your Where's your Monte Carlo compared, Jacob? Uh, is that, to me, Monte Carlo is number one or two. Yeah, for me, it's a it's a top two. I would put Monte Carlo above pretty much all of the other clay court tournaments. Like as a clay court tournament, I think that one comes in at the highest spot of I would say on our list so far of Rome and the French Open. Chip, what are your thoughts? Where where do we put Monte Carlo here? Yeah, no, it's a great tournament. I I don't think it's personally one or two. I don't, I just think the the prestige of the tournament isn't isn't what some of the the grand slams are and um and i can't i i really can't put a, a a tournament at one or two that i haven't been to before i feel like i have to have some sort of personal feeling with it um but uh but it's a great tournament and uh if you i mean uh, i will have no objections if if that's if that if you guys want to put it high or low i think we put it at two that's my opinion jay we what's your you in agreement at two not number one but number two yeah, I would put it at two, and then depending on what we put at one, I, I would argue that we could, you know, do a slight rearranging of our top five. And, you know, if we want to move some Grand Slams up into the top five or other tournaments up, that would also potentially work. All right, so the decision for number one, let's come down to this. Indian Wells or Flushing Meadows, unless there's something else you want to throw out there. Well, I actually had uh, the U.S. Open at number one uh, anyways. Mainly because I just have a special relationship with the tournament. When I when I graduated college, um, I got one present. That was to go see Rafa Nadal play live, and that was the first time and the only time I ever got to see Rafa play in person. And it's it's right up there with one of the best days of my life. And um, and because of that, there's there's no way I could put any anything less than one. That was a truly truly special day getting to see him play. What was more special, watching that match or being my best man at my wedding? Well, that was pretty special too. Um, I did pretty well with that speech, didn't I? You don't. You're doing pretty well with all the speeches. Is the, today, yeah, is that, does that uh, wherever you got married? Does that count as one of the top ten venues there? That was a nice venue. Thanks, Chip. Just put a tennis court on that that outcrop of rock. I, I'm with you. I think Flushing Meadows at number one. Jacob, I know you had it really far down, but you might be outvoted on this. No, I'm fine with Flushing Meadows being number one. It's it is, I would say, the biggest tennis tournament in the world aside from Wimbledon. So I could definitely see it at number one. I would just, you know, bump Indian Wells somewhere onto the list. Maybe a little bit. Yeah, would I definitely I would maybe move it to seven in place of Atlanta or move Rome down to seven and put Indian Wells at six. I would I would go with that. Yeah. I think six and seven are 
perfectly fine. We have come to a decision. From 10 to 1, here's the rundown. Number 10, Acapulco. Number 9, Paris-Bercy. Number nine, number eight, uh, Crandon Park, the old Miami side. Number seven, Rome, Italy. Number six, Indian Wells. Number five, Australian Open. Number four, Wimbledon. Number three, French Open. Number two, Monte Carlo. And number one, the US Open Flushing Meadows. Guys, we got there. I'm pretty happy with the list. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think everything on that list makes a lot of sense. I can't really think of any big sites that we left off. I think... Uh, Acapulco sneaking in as a resort location is uh, pretty nice for a smaller tournament compared to most of our bigger ones. And uh, I think the, the Grand Slams are well, well represented at the top two. Yeah, when I was uh, doing a bit of research on just, I was looking through the uh, the calendar and it, you know you kind of realize that the ACB tour is, uh, just stops off at all the, all the money hubs in the world. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. I think we, we left a couple off the list as well, like... Uh, I think Dubai is a pretty popular one with the players. I, I've never really had too much affinity for the tournament, but it looks like it's a, a nice site. Um, it's a little bit of a smaller tournament, too. So I don't my, think my only memory about Dubai is right after Federer won the Australian Open when he lost to, uh, to Donskoy there after having a match point. Do you guys remember that match? I do remember that match. So that about rounds it up for, uh, for the content for this week's episode. Uh, before we leave you, another quick reminder. Uh, for next Sunday's episode, we'll have um, up up and coming pro and YouTube star Cameron Price on to discuss um, his aspirations for his career and how YouTube is helping him get there. As always, give us a follow on Instagram at Around the Net Post. Um, and thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Uh, I've been George Barfoot. I'm Jacob Andres. I'm Chip Moore. And remember, always go around the net post. Uh-huh.